become loaves of bread, and we're not working? <laughs> okay, I thought it didn't sound right, and I thought, well, maybe it's just my hearing aid. Do I need to start over? Just for that, your sermon's going to be longer. Well, good morning. I appreciate the elders and their wives. I am going to start with the text, though, again, okay? After Jesus' baptism, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And so the tempter seized an opportunity and came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, you can fix this. Just command these stones to become loaves of bread. How simple. And Jesus answered, it is written, man, people, shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What an incredible story and statement. Imagine being in a desert, being tempted by the devil for 40 days. An hour is about all I can take. Think of the oppressive heat of the day when the shade from a rock provides little relief in evenings which barely cool down. Those of you who have grown up in southern states or on the plains or hot, uh, hot countries uh, know the oppressive nature of it when you don't have any kind of air conditioning. And then 40 days, 40 days of that. And then to not eat during that time, Luke tells us he had nothing to eat. I've wondered what a person would be like the condition in that length of time. I think barely alive and to this gnawing hunger or perhaps even a numbness to hunger. And then the devil drops by to offer a helpful reminder that and suggestion, after all, Jesus, if you are the Son of God, nothing is impossible. You could turn these desert stones into nutritious bread. Why not? Jesus' response not only reveals his complete dependence upon God, but the reason. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus appeals to scripture. The words are from Deuteronomy. These are words that every Jewish person would have probably memorized growing up. They would have been in their hearts. And these words are in Jesus' heart. And these are the words he lives by. And in time of need, Jesus lives out of a word from God. And he lives by every word from God. Jesus' words also reflect how people really live. What, what do we really live by? What really sustains a human being? Our lives are more than flesh and blood. There is a spirit that longs to be in contact with God's spirit. And our priorities are about far more 
than being 98.6 and breathing. Living for God and from God are more important than staying physically alive. The psalmist will say, your love is better than life. That knowing God's love for one day is better than living without it for a hundred years. I wanted to start with this episode in Jesus' life because I believe this is what we believe as God's people, right? We believe that eternal life is more important than temporal life, important as that life is, and we are willing to die for that conviction. We fundamentally are a people who revere, respect, love God's word, and we yearn to obey it. We hold the Bible in the highest regard as a message from God through people about the character and nature of God and about his dealings with people. This belief that we have is summarized in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed, given from God, from the very breath of God, from God's mouth, and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good word. This word nurtures us, cares for us, guides us, supports us, brings us life. This is what we believe, amen? amen. These are the things which are essential to who we are and the bedrock upon which we make decisions into regard to life, our lives, the way we live, and doctrine, both personally and corporately. That said, I want us to think about the way we approach the Bible and what the goal of understanding the Bible is, because our approach and goal make a huge difference in how, where we arrive, and not all approaches and goals lead to the same place. My parents, uh, uh, later years when they had a little bit more free time, would, would go on trips and get on these tour buses and whatever, and uh, then we'd hear from them. My mom took a lot of pictures on these things, and then she'd want to show us all the pictures. And uh, so, uh, but uh, sometimes they never got off the tour bus, uh, which I understand why, but you know, that's a, that'd be a lot sometimes. And so we were at Yosemite Park, and they'd been there before with the tour bus, and uh, my family and I were all looking around at everything, going up to falls and everything. And so, uh, uh, I said, and the, uh, mom said, oh, this, yeah, we've been here before. And I said, oh, really, did you go up the falls? Oh, no, no. And, you know, did you do this? No, no, we just kind of drove through. And I'm thinking, well, you know, that's uh, okay. <laughs> I didn't say much about it, but that's not quite experiencing Yosemite. This summer, Barbara and I visited Boston at the end of the Freedom Trail, which is this trail that takes you through all the historic places and, you know, Boston, those sort of things. We had an opportunity to see the famous battleship, the USS Constitution. Before you go to see the Constitution, you go to the museum. See the museums up there, left-hand corner? Isn't that cool? Isn't that museum cool? I mean, that is just so awesome. And we went in the museum, and, and then there's a, there's a portrait of the USS Constitution. Beautiful. And there are all kinds of paintings. And then there's a model of the Constitution. 
And then uh, we had to decide if we're, you can go on board the Constitution. Well, do we want to pay extra for that or not? You know, is that worth it? And I'm thinking, we aren't coming back. You know, we might as well do this thing. So we do. I'm telling you, it's a lot different than going to the museum. Uh, so many fascinating things, but um, cannons and everything. But the thing that amazes me most about it is the rigging and the sails. I mean, I, don't, I, I was never in the Navy, so I, I presume to know that, but it does kind of make sense how a, you know, a, a nuclear-powered ship could have a rudder and you, know, you steer it, right? I know the Navy people are not going to talk to me later, but, but I kind of get that. But I do not get how you would manage all those sails. I am still just stunned by it. And my point is that just going to the museum is not like experiencing something. And I can't even imagine what it would be like to ride on that ship in a storm or in a battle. Wow. And the point is that the Bible can be approached as though we're going to God's museum to find interesting historical facts. <clears throat> the Bible can be studied, it can be analyzed, it can be handled, it can be praised, appreciated, respected, and even applied. But that is not really the main point of the Bible. The Bible intends that it be read to see beyond itself to the author. Over and over again, this is what Scripture does. From Genesis through Revelation, it reveals the God of the universe who acts in love towards people, towards you. And in our study of the Bible, if we don't see God and know God and experience God, we have basically failed to realize God's purpose. I want us to take a quick survey uh, through the Gospel of John to see what Jesus was trying to do when he walked this earth. In the Gospel of John, now I've got a lot of scriptures here, but don't, no worries, okay, I've only got one point. <laughs> So I don't I have about 16 slides, but it's not 16 points, okay? So uh, now you can participate with me if you want to or not. The word we're focusing on is the word see, come and see. If you want to say see when we read it, that's fine. Or, you know, if you're introvert, you can just mumble it. <clears throat> In the Gospel of John, there is this phrase, come and see. So we're going to walk through this. And let the words impact us as we think about the mission of the Word of God. From John 1, and then I'm just going to read through these. We'll just, we'll just fly through these. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's what we saw. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. No one's ever seen God. But God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made him known to be seen. 
The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one who I meant when I said, A man comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing was water with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. The next day, see, they just, it just keeps pounding. Next day, next day, next day, next day. John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. When turning around, Jesus saw them following and said, What do you want? I, I would just... I just love to imagine these scenes, what it was like, and you know, you just not read it for the words, but guys come up and, what do you guys want? You know, I don't know if that's how he said it or not, but uh, <clears throat> sounds a little flippant, but uh, somehow, you know, <laughs> we just won't engage these guys. And they said, Rabbi, which means teachers, where are you staying? That just seems like a really lame response. Where are you staying? Is that it? And he said, come and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the 10th hour. I think they saw a lot more than where he was staying. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one who Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. We found him. The one we've been waiting for, we have found him. Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and Don't you love that, said Philip? Come and see. See for yourselves. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here's a true Israelite whom there's nothing false. You know, this guy just unedited. <laughs> How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God the king of Israel. See what happens when people see? Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the tree? You will see greater things than this. You haven't seen anything yet. He then added, I tell you the truth, you shall see the heavens open and the angels of God descending and descending on the Son of Man. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples got in town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You know, what's going on here? This is weird. That's, that's, uh, that's in the commentary. You're a Jew. I'd love to hear the tone of voice here. I think it would have been so cynical. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Woman, how can you ask me for a drink? 
for Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And then a long discussion. And then the woman says, sir, I can see that you're a prophet. She's coming along, isn't she? He's a, he's a Jew, he's a man, now he's a prophet. She'll get farther. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Another more discussion. She goes back to town, to her village, speaks with her neighbors and says, Come, a man who told me everything I have ever done. Could it be? Could he be the Messiah? After Lazarus' death, Jesus came and spoke to his sisters. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Now it begins linking this seeing and believing. Therefore, many of the Jews had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did in raising Lazarus believed in him. At the Passover, Jewish Passover, there were some Greeks, non-Jews, coming to a Jewish festival, and they went up to worship. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. Maybe there was some connection there, I don't know. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. They want to see him. After telling the disciples that he was going to prepare a place for them, Thomas said to him, Lord, we know, don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Even though no one's ever seen God. After certain women had seen the resurrected Jesus, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them, she had said, and she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, when the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now Thomas, also called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see, I'm kind of a Thomas. Uh, I, I don't find much fault with Thomas because... I don't believe easily. <laughs> I'll tell you what, if I'm going to die for something, I want to be sure about it. So anyway, I like Thomas. So the other titles, uh, he says, uh, he, Thomas says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my fingers where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I will not 
A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. There's a lot there, I think. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. I mean, he has seen. Jesus said, told him, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and believed. Who would that be? Be us, wouldn't it? I like that. Not everyone who studies the Bible sees God. There's a way of studying the Bible in which people gain only more and more data and even sometimes become more and more rigid and harsh with people. There were religious leaders in Jesus' day who did not see him. There's a way of reading the Bible today in which a person never really sees Jesus. A couple of years ago, Barbara and I went to Alaska and... Uh, we uh, stayed overnight one night at Denali. It used to be Mount McKinley, you know, for you that you know, haven't made the transition there. <laughs> uh, the day we arrived, we're taking pictures all the way and the bus and getting out and stopping. And, and so uh, we're, we're looking for Denali out there, out there in the distance. And uh, so uh, get some pictures. Uh, we get to the hotel, go out on the deck, and we, we're looking out there. I'm looking for the, and there's this massive range out there. You know, and, I, and I, so I say, well, which one was Denali? It's probably the one with the highest peak, right? And so I put an arrow there. My wife said, what's the arrow for? And I said, that's Denali. <laughs> it's kind of a dumb, dumb arrow, but uh, uh, anyway, it, that, that's what it is. And then, uh, so we, we go to bed that night, get up early in the morning, and we come out the next day and go out on the deck and show the next one. Is it up there? Go to the next slide. That's Denali. Denali is covered in fog and clouds about two-thirds of the days, and it was the day before. And then out the next morning, this lower range, the, the gray one, that's what we'd seen the day before. Oh, some little peak out there is what I thought was Denali. <laughs> I mean, it's just a monster. It is, it is huge. It is enormous. It is, it is the highest mountain peak in North America. It is the third most prominent and third most isolated peak on Earth. It just, it just I, couldn't, I couldn't believe it, how huge and monstrous it was. And, and you've, you've had experiences like that, whether it's looking at the stars or, or something that's just magnificent. And I just want to say, Denali or whatever is nothing compared to getting to know God. It is the difference between reading the Bible like it's a history book and God's museum and coming to know and see Jesus Christ. And it's all the difference in the world and when people begin to see him, not literally physically, but, but through the eyes of our heart and we come to believe he is the Christ, the Son of God, you will never be the same again. I never get over it.
I was, uh, I was slow coming to the Lord. Because like I said, I'm, I'm a cautious guy. <laughs> I mean, we had Hare Krishna. We had people chanting on campuses. I don't, that's probably all past, but the 70s were pretty weird stuff. And, uh, you know, they're meeting you in the airports. They're talking to you on campus and shaking beads and all this kind of stuff. And I didn't know, you know, well, maybe that is the truth. I don't know. And, and, but so I'm pretty freaked out by it. And then, and then well-meaning and, and good for them, uh, people passing out Bibles and all sort of stuff. But, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to risk my reputation as a potential veterinarian for some kooky deal or get overly enthused about it even if it is true so I've been slow coming at this but I, I would just say as I began to see Jesus he caught me and that's what he's done for you or will do for you if you're searching and so there is this great thing in terms of the Bible, and there's a lot of facts to know and a lot of details and, you know, all kinds of different kinds of materials, and sometimes it's complex, but let us never forget what the main point is, is to find the author of this word from God. And so John winds up this gospel. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, over and over that aren't recorded but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah the Christ the son of the living God and by believing you may have life in his name this is who we are as the people of God and why we love God's word. And the church said, amen. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, we are astounded as we read through the Bible at your mercy and grace, your justice and your righteousness, the hope you give us, and that you will not spare anything or hold anything back from bringing people back to yourself. So great is your love. And as John would say later, this is what we are, the children of God. So amazing. Father, help us to hold these things in our hearts this week. In Jesus' name, amen. We're dismissed. <laughs>